Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. Tori, nice to meet you, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, nice to meet you. And yeah, thanks for what you're doing and giving us the opportunity to to share POW and um, our work with you. Yeah, man, I've been looking forward to this for a while, so I'm, I'm glad to have you on. And we always love to get the podcast rolling with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, uh, great question. So um, I joined Protect Our Winners in 2016. Um uh, September of 2016, just prior to the election. Uh, I had been in Boulder, Colorado when POW moved um, from California to Colorado. Um, had been you know, an organization that was primarily focused on winter and climate, um, needed to get out of Southern California and get in, into the mountains and um, fortuitously landed in Boulder right when I was transitioning out of a role with Jim Collins, who's best-selling author, management consultant, um, who's also based in, in Boulder, Colorado, and had been following the organization for a number of years and was, yeah, just kind of banging on the door, trying to get involved and help. It was, we can get into this, but a, a, a pretty small organization. We're still relatively small, but it was, you know, two full-time staff that were packing up the boxes and heading out to Colorado. Talking um, about POW, right? Yeah. Yeah. POW. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little bit about me, I, you know, that's kind of relevant for the work that I do today. I, you know, I grew up really always kind of straddling this line of business, you know, similar to you, it sounds like, and really um, at the heart of this series is like straddling business and environmental advocacy and climate. Like I was the kid in college, you know, in high school, like taking the environmental ethics course in the morning and then doing a business accounting or managerial economics in the afternoon. Like I just, you know, no matter what, I couldn't like get away from either of those worlds and um, really like, uh, you know, aim, have aimed in my life to make, to try to merge those two, try to think about how to leverage business and the market um, in a way that can be really productive and supportive of a, of a healthy planet and uh, a clean climate. So, um, or a stable climate. So um, yeah, I, I'm an outdoor enthusiast. Uh, and so I feel like I've won the lottery and have a dream job at Protector Winners where I get to merge the, again, the issue that I care most about uh, climate that I think is the issue of our time with like outdoor activity, what I want to do on my free time, like what I did this morning and what I want to do um, after work, which is get outside and and move in the outdoor places that we're priv- privileged to um, to be in. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for sharing. I really appreciate it. Let's let's go into a little bit about the, the connection between climate change and like outdoor sports like or I guess before we do that, let's yeah. talk about what is Protect Our Winners? How was it founded? And I'm sure we can kind of obviously talk about the connection in that, in that story as well. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a good those two questions actually are coupled for um, in many ways. So we can yeah talk through those, uh, you know, POW is founded like because there was a, a gap in the environmental space. And um, Jeremy Jones, a professional snowboarder, um, was 
you know, has spent his life in the mountains. He, he grew up, moved out West, um, you know, right after high school and started snowboarding and building a career and, um, you know, had built a life around the mountains and was returning to a lot of the same mountain ranges, um, and getting really attuned to the mountains and, and what they were kind of saying to him. And he started to recognize climate change impacts in early 2000s. Um, you know, and, you know, the scientists were already screaming at that point, but in terms of really feeling as a, as a lay person feeling the impacts of climate, you know, still relatively early and he, and he was, and he was, you know, coming back, like who's working on this issue for people like me, like, where do I get involved? Who do I donate to? He was, you know, simply just like, you know, I want to support this. I care about it. And he realized like, oh, no one in the winter sports sports space and really the outdoor space was working exclusively on climate. There were some environmental groups and some, of course, long-standing conservation groups, but no one explicitly like front of the outdoor industry, snow sports industry saying, this is an issue, let's let's rally um, together. And so he, yeah, reluctantly, you know, started a nonprofit. He like, you know, he's a snowboarder. So he's like, uh, I'm just gonna surround myself with all the smartest, people that I know like to ski and snow, um, business leaders and economists and scientists and um, historians and other professional athletes. And like, you know, he wrote down in his journal, he's like, together we can protect our winners. It was like, I don't want to start a Jeremy Jones foundation. I like, you know, this needs to be a collective effort. Um, and so, you know, Powell, like to this day, we like have really grown and, and evolved from that kind of organic start, like um, it's from within a very endemic community. It's on behalf of a community. It's not like an organization, a pre-existing organization saying, oh, let's recruit, um, you know, the outdoor, you know, skiers and climbers and hikers into the work that we're already doing. It's like, no, from within, let's give people that love to, to play outside. And they're, you know, from our counts on the primary sports that we focus on 50 million people that are, um, you know, are, are participating, act, you know, actively outside and the majority of them understand climate and are concerned about it. So let's give them a way, um, to get involved and take an action. Yeah. No, I, I love how you say like, you like reluctantly started it. Cause it's like, you're looking around, you're, do, you're doing something that you're passionate about and you see like these overarching, this overarching challenge coming in and, and posing a threat to like what you love most. So he's like looking around, he's like, is anybody doing it, something about this? And then, I guess it, it wasn't even like, is anybody doing something about this? Generally, it was, yeah. is someone in my community that was so deeply impacted by this stuff doing anything about it? And um, I also love what you said about how you said it's, it's not about him. Like when I was trying to think about how to name like my business, like there's Coldwell Banker and Keller Williams, I could have done, you know, been like Ethan Shapiro Realty. But the whole point of like the venture is it's not it's about like everyone and bringing everything together. And we want to protect our winners. We don't we don't want to have like Ethan Shapiro Realty. We want to have like help the world Realty. So I just came up with climate change Realty. I thought that was interesting to just throw yeah. in. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a nice um, parallel with the work you're doing. And yeah. And like, he was, he's funny, you know, again, to that business and, and environmental like overlap, he, he's like looking around, like our businesses. And now, you know, he, at this point, he's an entrepreneur. He had started his company, Jones Snowboards. It's like, I have a vested interest in a stable climate. Like totally, we can get into the, I think you were kind of hinting at that. We can get into the economic impacts, but like, 
like we need to do something about this just to you know ensure sustainability for our business models um even if i'm being you know selfish and and kind of focused on my interests like i sh we as business leaders um, should be doing something. So, you know, I think he was kind of miffed by the the lack of leadership um, and was like, well, I'll, I'll do my best to, to, to organize this. Totally. So you said you worked, was it Jim Rohn's who you worked uh, Jim with? Jim Collins. Jim Collins. And yeah. he writes about being like an entrepreneurial leader, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd really enjoy a lot of his work. So he, yeah, I mean, he came out of Stanford, uh, business school, uh, GSB in the nineties as a student, and then quickly was then teaching at the business school and actually taught, you know, early stage, like, um, entrepreneurship courses right. before striking out on his own and ending up writing, um, uh, uh multiple best-selling books, including built to last and good to great that has sold, uh, I think over 10 million copies globally. Um, and it's really about like, how to, as an entrepreneur, building something that lasts beyond, you know, not built, building to flip, but building meaningful, impactful businesses. Um, and he kind of codifies and studies how great leaders and businesses operate. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask you is uh, how you came to the conclusion to work for a nonprofit organization rather than either, you know, you obviously have this business interest and this like philanthropy side inside of you. What made you determine working with like a 501c3 rather than like working with a for-profit business that has like a similar mission? Yeah. Or just yeah. the idea no. of that in general. Yeah. It's obviously it's something I think about a lot. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I, I was reflecting on it just the last couple of days. Like a lot of the work that I've done over the last five years with POW is engaged with people like you who are of course. Running, business, running businesses and also want to take action on climate and get their business involved and use it as a, as a part of the solution. And to me, like, that's like, that's so inspiring. And I think so much harder to do um, because you have all of the day-to-day -day pressures to like, I just have a lot of work on my plate just to run a successful business and to grow my business, like addressing climate change and solving climate as part of that, like, man, that's a huge barrier to like, and a, a pretty, um, uh, deterring, uh, you know, like variable to add on to your plate. Uh, and so, yeah, I think like for me, it's a really clean way to affect change and to work on this issue, but um, you know, I, the, the opportunity for me, like was, it was early stage pow, you know, pow was, you know, at that point, um, almost seven or eight years old, but it had just kind of fluctuated between, you know, one to three full-time staff. And, and, you know, I think for me, and I, I kind of like look at this for other people when they're trying to break into this space is like, look for the opportunity, early stage opportunity where like, you can, they don't know that you're like underqualified to like support and help. And in some cases, like I shouldn't have gotten the job that I got at POW. Um, but I saw the opportunity and it's like, all right, let me, let me go and add some, get, add some impact. And like in doing so, let me help build this organization, um, from within. So like, again, I, you know, it's day to day, I'm not doing a ton different than probably any other operations or finance or of business course. development person. I'm just doing it in, uh, you know, within a nonprofit structure and, you know, um, so yeah, for me, it was like, I, I want to have that direct line, but I'm also equally inspired and think it's much harder for those who are coming or who are adding that climate and advocacy or, uh, cause to the work that they're doing day to day in business. Thanks, man.
Hey, necessity, right? Someone, we got to do it. But uh, yeah, cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, So how do you go about like turning outdoor enthusiasts into like climate activists or catalysts for change in their community or through their their network of people who support them? Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's we've you know, I think about this a lot like we've we also have a unique approach. I'll answer that question, but we have a unique approach to climate and in some ways like it's a little bit of an upstream um, kind of approach and uh, it's counterintuitive. Like when you see protector winners or pow and you like see us on Instagram or you see our stickers in the parking lot at Arapahoe Basin or above my uh, thermostat in my house. Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool. I love <laughs> <Yeah>. that. Literally. <laughs> what a good uh, little nudge as they call that. Um, you're like, I should keep this. I can't turn this up. Um, you, uh, you, uh, yeah, you, you start to like, you assume, okay, these guys are helping professional athletes or businesses maybe like green up their business or do offsets or feel better about themselves in a pretty consumptive space. Like skiers travel probably, you know, or not probably they travel more than the average totally. individual in the U S they, you know, consume more, I would imagine than the average um, and you know, businesses are businesses, they consume and produce product. And, and so, you know, I think when you, if you were to look at how skeptically you say, yeah, what is like, what are they actually doing to affect change? Um, and you know, we've like, we've taken this approach that individual action is, is in, insufficient on its own. It's important. Um, you know, we both should drive less. We should fly less. We should eat less meat. Like those individual actions absolutely matter and do keep emissions, um, out of the atmosphere, but we're also part of a really large, um, system where we're putting as a global society, we're putting 110 million tons of global warming pollution in the atmosphere every 24 hours. Um, so when you start to think of metric tons of carbon that, you know, like under single digits that I'm putting into the atmosphere as an individual in a calendar year, like, whoa, it's like really hard to shave off a lot when the energy grid that I'm tying into is, you know, 60% here in Salt Lake City, coal, 19% natural gas, like my ability to affect change is pretty small. So long-winded way to get to we try to get, not only do we try to uh, engage people on climate, which is a, a has been over the years a hard kind of issue to get people really uh, motivated around. Um, but two, we also tell them, look, like do the individual action, but we also need you to do even the harder stuff, which is like calling your elected official, showing up to town council meetings, voting, getting your friends to vote, um, you know, like like looking at who's running for your public utility commission like really wonky kind of, um, sticky stuff. And, uh, and, you know, so like we've, to answer your question more succinctly, like we really look to how do we, um, you know, leverage influence. So specifically from the top, like we have business leaders and professional athletes who carry with them large, um, kind of economies or gold medals. And we try to connect them to opportunities to drive, you know, systemic changes. So policy shifts, um, what just happened federally with the infrastructure bill, making sure the voice, the influential voices from the outdoor space are getting heard from the decision makers. And then across the 50 million people also giving them an opportunity, whether that's calling 
um, voting in the elections, um, you know, you know, jo joining, you know, express sending an email, um, and finding the opportunities for them as well to get in, get involved on on the policy side and on the issue side, um, all while like elevating the narrative of climate. So like getting these people to talk about it more, getting you know, getting the influencers to be talking about it publicly, um, and the importance of it, and really telling their personal story. Cool, man. So, so who are some of the athletes that are like directly supporting the work that you're doing? And I'm wondering if you have like heavy involvement from like non-winter athletes, because obviously it's, it's very obvious, like the warmer it gets, the less snow there's going to be. These people, it's top of mind for them. But for someone who might, I don't know, do like wakeboarding or something, I think that's like some, like it might be oh, more water, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like how much work do you guys do with them? Yeah. So, you know, when going to the origin story, when we started, it was obviously Jeremy's kind of network and, and uh, community, very much snow sports dependent. Our name is, you know, literally protect our winners, POW. Um, we have a snowflake in our logo. So like snow has obviously been at the root, but, you know, early on, we, you know, were thinking much broad, broader than that. And even the last few years really deliberately shift, you know, a opened up the aperture and started working with climbers, trail runners, um, kayakers, fly fishing um, guides, um, fly fisher people, um, uh, you know, hikers, and um, really kind of thinking about this concept, what we call the outdoor state, um, where yes, many people's identity is tied to one or a few sports. Um, but this issue of climate is really starting to be felt across season. And, um, we actually organic, again, organically, like would have trail runners and climbers come to us and, and say, literally say, you know, our community cares about climate. It's like the number one or two issue they're worried about. You know, we're thinking about starting an advocacy group. Can we get your advice? And we're like, well, why don't we, why don't you tie into what we're doing and let us, you know, we'll come from behind. You got to lead and we'll give you the tools to, without you having to start your own nonprofit. So we kind of created these programs like POW Trail and POW Climb, where we're not out front saying, all right, POW is now doing trail running, but we're giving the same resources that we give to skiers and snowboarders to trail runners to, you know, train them on how to talk about this issue in the most effective way, giving them opportunities to lobby, giving them the election tools to share um, in November, um, you know, supporting them at events. So we've worked with, you know, locally for you, like worked with Tommy Caldwell, um, famous rock climber um, up in Estes Park there in Colorado, who's been, you know, instrumental in um, the, the, uh, pal climb effort. And even he was meeting with our Senator, not ours, uh, your Senator, uh, John Hickenlooper ahead of the infrastructure bill took him climbing. Um, and in that space, in that example, like he's an outdoor enthusiast representing that outdoor state population. He's not like a pow ambassador per se. Like John, Senator Hickenlooper is like, wow, this is someone who's designed their life around, uh, around the outdoors cares about climate. Like, wow, that's really interesting. Um, and they went climbing and like Pow was there to help facilitate and make sure. Is this like last week? Yeah, it was really recent. And I saw I saw a picture of Hickenlooper climbing something. Yeah, there's media of it. And like, I don't think Hickenlooper had climbed in a couple of years. Um, and yeah, they had a conversation about the infrastructure bill. And like, we had talking points that we were hoping Tommy would would speak to. And he's incredibly polished. Um, yeah, you know, so that's that's a good example. There's also a whole cadre, just I'm kind of giving bolder examples, but 
a cadre of trail runners in your area um, that are like have were were uh, completely critical for the bringing that pow trail effort I spoke to uh, to life Claire Gallagher Abby Levine Joe Grant um, Anton Kropichka early on um, but you know like we we just had a summit that we used to train and kind of engage uh, ambassadors and partners and we had a, about 150 total people there um, we had an Olympian um, cyclist we had um, you know, Olympic snowboarders, we had trail runners, rock climbers, mountain bikers, you know, there's really, you know, uh, fisher people like the, 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 the umbrella in the tent is getting much, much bigger, um, by design. Right. So it sounds like you guys focus on people using their voice to advocate for policy and systemic change, which obviously will, will get the yeah. most work done. So summarize. Yeah, no. And I think that's, that's great, man. I, I obviously I'm a big advocate of individual actions. I think you have to be passionate. You have to, you have to like be thinking about this stuff every day for that to work. Um, but you know, as systems change people, the things will evolve and things will become more and more apparent to people. But yeah, uh, one thing I always try to emphasize on this show is that one person really can make a difference. You don't mm-hmm. need to be a world renowned rock climber. If you're climbing with your friends and you're like, Hey, like this mountain is eroding. Like usually this isn't here, blah, 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 blah. I don't know if that's exactly climate erosion from like, yeah. people climbing, but, uh, well, no, you're hitting on something that's really important, which like that one of the best actions, there's this amazing, uh, climate scientist and, um, climate communications expert, Catherine Hayhoe. And her line is like, the number one action you can do is talk about climate with the people in your work and your network. Totally, right? totally. And like what you're doing is like the greatest gift. Um, and, and, you know, your point of like, we also, you, you just nailed our messaging framework, which is like, I'm with people I, that they trust me. I, I I'm climbing or I'm hiking and it, we're in a place that's special or, or, you know, fun for us at, at minimum. And, you know, I'm connecting like, Hey, like, like, look at this erosion that's happened from the recent wildfire in Boulder. And like, now it's flooding because we're having more kind of, we're having more erratic and intense, um, rainstorms. And there's like, not the soil integrity because of that wildfire to like capture and hold all that, um, all, all that soil. And then, um, or all that water. And now we're having this like massive trail erosion. So like, we really work to give that um, make that connection between what's happening from climate and the impacts on weather and, um, you know, intense storms and, and, and those impacts with like you sharing that in a personal way, in a place that you care about. And that's like on its own, a really powerful action and and important. Totally. And I do want to touch a little bit. We don't have to go too, too in detail, but when you're asking people to be advocates for something, um, they, they need to like understand like what they're advocating for and then be and then realize that it's actually going to help. So so your organization specifically, at least on your website, it says you focus on four things, which is carbon pricing, renewables, defensive public land and electric vehicles. And like I'm reading. Well, actually, I've got it right here. I'm reading uh-huh. Drawdown yeah. by, by Paul Hawk. I'm also reading Regeneration nice. at the same time. And Ray, I'm reading Work Principles. Are you familiar with Ray Dalio at all? Yeah, I actually got to know Ray Dalio through my work with Jim Collins. Oh, no like, kidding. I just was on a couple calls and meetings with him. He's, yeah. I, cool. I really well, I'm reading all... You really like what? I like his framework and his writing, you know, principles. And he wrote, like, even before principles, he had this, some internal Bridgewater document that I yeah. would look at a lot. 
Oh, that's really cool, man. So I'm like piecing together like Paul Hawkins work for how to fix the environment with Ray Dalio's principles for how to actually build a business and succeed. Um, anyways, uh, side point. I think that these four, because there's a lot of ways to, uh, you know, make the system better. But these four things that, that your organization's focused on are like really pivotal. I think. Yeah. Like, okay. Putting, yeah, yeah, for sure. Putting up, yeah. putting a price on pollution, like fixing the energy system, public defending public lands where where um, natural mm. systems flourish, and you actually sequester carbon. And then electric vehicles, obviously, one of the biggest uh, polluters is yeah. electric vehicles in, in America, at least. I just wanted yeah. to talk a bit on that. Yeah, no, definitely. And we're updating those priorities. Not that they're, um, they're issues we don't care about anymore. They're definitely the ones we do. But we're opening up our criteria. I'm just looking at our strategic plan. I'm open, we're opening up our criteria a little bit, and it'll be updated on our site soon. And, you know, one thing, like we're essentially thinking about it as criteria and filters. So like, does it create jobs? Does it add renewable energy? Does it reduce emissions? Many of those items you just talked to that we've focused on historically, like all fit in that. And then like, is it in a place where we have access to the outdoor state? Are we in kind of mountain economies or their professional athletes who can speak to it genuinely? So um, yeah, we really like the, you know, Hawken ones is like, all those, it's such a good framework. Um, and we basically, we look at those solutions and say, all right, well, where can the outdoor state be really additive and really helpful? Like, we're not going to be the best group. I mean, like one of the number one issues, right, is, is um, women, ed- you know, educating women across the, the world. And like, okay. that's super important. And, but like, POW's not going to be the best group to, to, to do that. Or, uh, I forget like refrigerants and like helping yep. make your um, we refrigeration. Yeah. Like that's also, you know, maybe not going to be the issue that we need to be working on explicitly, but yeah, I think like a lot, as we've seen in States that we've worked on historically, like carbon pricing, electric vehicles. I mean, looking at Colorado um, on the EV side, public land defense. Yeah. Like we're, we've, we've, we've tried to not say like, we're just a carbon pricing organization, but so that we can, um, you know, really support and add value when there's an opportunity that that fits within our kind of broad criteria. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, c- can you speak a bit about the impact of the outdoor industry, I guess, specifically when it comes to like retailing equipment uh, compared to like other industries? I guess not, not, not specifically yeah. retail. We can talk about that a little bit after because the outdoor industry includes like ticket sales and all yeah. sorts of stuff compared to like other large industries like cars or like big pharma that kind of stuff yeah yeah i mean like the the citation that we'll use that gets thrown a lot from the outdoor industry as a whole it's like it sits around somewhere between 800 to 900 billion dollars uh and that's a pretty broad cut like that includes i think rvs and atvs and um you know, like a, it's like everything outdoors, golf, golf equipment gets thrown in that. So like, and that's per year, right? Yeah, that's per year. And that's, you know, that's larger than big pharma. That's larger than the oil and gas industry. And I think that's an important anecdote. Like, I don't think people appreciate really that. bigger uh, than oil and gas. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And that's okay. I'll let you go on. Yeah. Um, and you know, getting into something specific though, like that's a little more tangible for us in mountain states and specifically snow sports. So we, 
we lobbied for a number of years at NDC. We bring professional athletes, as I was talking about, and business leaders. And the, the, the elected officials would say, hey, we get this, like, yeah, we're, we hear your kind of passionate plea for action here. But show us the numbers. Like, I can't do anything without an economic argument on this. Um, and so in 2012, POW, and then we recreated it in 2018, did an economic uh, study on what's the economic contribution of the snow sports industry to the United States' economy? And then what happens during low snowfall years that we know are going to become more prominent in a changing climate and compare that to a high snowfall year? And what we found is, um, you know, the snow sports industry, or it's, you know, and this is both direct contributions and indirect. So it's like, as you mentioned, it's like ticket sales, skier visits, but then it's also the restaurant um, or the hotel in Breckenridge that is at, you know, the, the skier staying in. Um, and we found that it, they contribute over a billion dollars um, uh, to, to the economy in a given year. Um, and the, the impact on, on, a low snowfall year is drastically greater than you can recoup in a big snowfall year, um, you know, because the, the you have limited capacity. When when this you have big snowstorms, you can still only fit so many people in Eldora's parking lot. Um, but when you have a low snowfall year, that empty parking lot, um, you're still paying all that overhead. You're paying for those staff to be there, and there's no predictability, right? There's no consistency in your business model, um, and so you know. Uh, or specifically, I, I misquoted that the swing on a low snowfall year is over a billion dollars in potential losses. So okay. you, we, the, the hit that the industry snow sports specifically has when you have a low snowfall year like 2016 that we studied in the most recent report, the industry as a whole and the, the economic contributions in our country is it, you lose a billion dollars. Um, and so that number was really powerful. We had over 300 media hits. Um, that's something we really kind of, we, we talk about in, in our talks that, you know, for it, that, you know, that really translates for a local retailer or a local ski resort, and especially an elected official who's, who knows their, their district, um, or, you know, their state is dependent on, on that type of industry. Um, and you, you not a one really important kind of point on that is like, we're still going to have big snowfall years, even as the temperatures increase and, and the climate is affected. Like what happens is you're going to have even very, you know, larger swings. So you're going to have, you know, much drier years. And then you're going to have on average, these really big storms. Um, but again, it's the variability is actually the, the impact, not the highs and the lows, because you can't, you can't plan for that. And you can't have, if you're having big snows, every, you know, every once in a while at, but your season is getting shrunk on the edges. Like you're, you're not actually going to uh, have as profitable of a business. Do you have um, any information about what these resorts, I guess, specifically in Colorado are doing to advocate for, for climate action? Yeah. So yeah, we've been fortunate to work with some resorts from the beginning, like Arapaho Basin there locally, um, Aspen Snowmass we've worked with for, you know, they're, they've come core to, to our ethos and approach. Um, you know, we've, we've built partnerships with Icon Pass and that's translated to Altera and all the owned Altera resorts here. Um, also in the West, Powder Corp. Um, we've done some work with Boyne Resorts. 
um, the Mountain Collective group have all um, been supportive of us. And, and in a number of ways, so there's both like early on, it was, you know, Aspen and Arapahoe Basin putting the POW logo on employees' jackets um, and being able to speak to climate and the impacts when, when uh, you know, a visitor is like, hey, what's that POW, P-O-W thing on your, on your jacket? Um, and again, to our earlier conversation, like use it as, a, as an entry into a conversation on what's happening and why it matters. Um, the resorts are, you know, like really focused, Arapahoe Basin and, you know, Aspen and Bales doing this to a great degree. Um, operational greening, like they're trying to figure out how do we use less water in our snowmaking? How do we make that more efficient? How do we, um, you know, how do we... Uh, uh, green up the the business operations that we have, which is great. And then some like Aspen are, have taken that even further and said, how can we wield power? Like, how can we go to both DC, but also locally, how can we push on our utility for them to change their portfolio of energy and really green up um, their system that they're drawing from? So um, there's been kind of uh, a, a great, and, and I would say, yeah, really commend the industry in the last couple of years for, for wielding more power, speaking out and, and really pushing, um, you know, to, to address climate. There's been a lot of work on like a bipartisan um, uh, carbon price from the National Ski Areas Association, um, really trying to approach, knowing that a lot of these states are, you know, are Republican or tend to be more conservative. Um, we have to find common ground and, and a space to, to, you know, get a solution to climate, but it can't be alienating the elected official that's also, you know, helping you with labor law and forest service access, you know, all these other kind of multivariate issues that, you know, a resort executive is working on. Tori, I just want to pause for a second in the middle of this interview to say, like, I, I love what you're doing, man. And like, I love this show so much because it's it just it's so obvious how many people across every single sector are dedicating their lives to this crisis and it's so empowering and it's so awesome to be in this position to be able to talk to everyone and see how they're thinking about how to integrate solutions into what they're doing or in their industry so that just just my personal thoughts man so i i appreciate what you're doing um one thing we didn't mention is that you you've got like conservationism in like your blood man. you come from like a line of conservationists so i wanted to ask your your thoughts about how to get people who uh who don't necessarily have that background uh more interested in supporting uh action on these issues yeah it's yeah it's that's a really good point and like something i think about a lot with pow and our approach like we're we 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 say and in some ways have taken it for granted or maybe i have like look you Ethan, you care about the outdoors, you, you ski or ride a bike or, um, climb, whatever. And like, so, you all know, I've always said, yeah, all three. Okay. So, um, my thing has always been like, well, for me, I was raised with this idea. Those, the, the conservation and outdoor activity needs are mutually inclusive. Like you have to do both. You can't just do one. Um, they, you know, they feed into each other. There's a feedback loop. But that's a, that's a pretty white and privileged, like, and developed world kind of approach. And I've tried to, like, check my own thinking on that. And, and like, I go, you know, when I roll up to Alta, I'm white, cisgender, affluent male who grew up doing all these activities. I've skied since I was five or four. And, like, I still roll into the parking lot and I'm, like, pretty nervous. I'm, like, do I go here? Like, 
all these hardos are there. They all like seem to know it. And I'm like, wow, I'm like such an imposter. I like, (laughs) you know, like, I'm like, geez, like I literally work for this outdoor like group. I've grown up doing this, like, and I even feel a little nervous and I feel like uh, I'm going to go the wrong way or like my skins are going to fail or whatever. And it's like, wow. Like if I have this kind of barrier and feel uncomfortable in this space, even the slightest, like imagine someone um, who didn't have that, you know, experience and privilege to grow up doing this. And so, um, I, you know, I've really like tried to think about, man, how do we lower that bar even more to get people both outside? Um, that's a whole access is a whole issue and a pipeline to getting people to then be climate, uh, you know, advocates and to be able to have the mental space and emotional space to actually like think about climate on top of their day to day. Like that's a huge leap. Um, and so, you know, like, how do we like be even once we even let's assume we get more people outside and diversify the outdoor spaces, like, how do we be even more welcoming and kind of drop some of the elitism around this issue of climate? And I think there's some really great groups. I think POWs come a long way in that. Um, and that's why we try to just like simplify the ask and like, you know, whether that's putting a sticker on your skis or, um, uh, you know, getting a t-shirt or, you know, retweeting one of our tweets, like just express that this, you're concerned about this in even the smallest way. Um, so yeah, long-winded way of like, I, I, I try to wrestle with that privilege and I like, I feel great responsibility. Like my dad wrote his first climate article the year before I was born, maybe even much earlier than that. But I, I stare at a, a, a piece, uh, he's no longer living, but he, um, so, so something I kind of hold on to is this article he wrote in 1989 on climate change, like in Sierra magazine, and he spent his life working on the issue, the, the environment and climate. And in my lifetime, in our lifetime, I don't know how old you are, but um, like 50% of global emissions have happened in my lifetime in the last 30 years yeah. from that period when he wrote his first article. Um, and it's like, wow, we've only let this issue intensify over that time. And we've been, you know, scientists have been aware of, of the trend and what's happening and the relationship between greenhouse gases and, and climate impacts. Um, so yeah, long, sorry for the long-winded answer, but like, no worries. I, 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 I kind of feel like I have no excuse and I I'm passionate to be able to do this work. Um, but I also then think, how do I, someone like knowing that I still find barriers day to day, how do we, how do we approach people who are coming to this, you know, coming to skiing for the first time as if they're lucky, you know, at 20 or 30 or 40 and and then get them engaged on our mission. Well, (laughs) I don't, I don't have the answer, but I do have an idea. And one of the things I focus on in my work, including in this show is I think humanizing things is a really great way to create a welcoming environment and get someone involved in a community. And I know this might not be the best example when we're talking about coming from a wealthy background and being privileged, but uh, like uh, the classic example I thought of is like a doorman at a hotel. Like when someone, when you show up to a place and someone's like, Hey man, how you doing? Like, here's the door. Like, you're like, Oh, this place is nice. Like I like the vibe here already. So I'm just thinking of like someone at the parking lot, instead of being like, go over there, park over there, blah, blah, being like, Hey, like, which I think most of my experiences at skiing has been like that. But when you get someone who's like really happy to be doing what they're doing, they're outside, they're, you know, happy to be providing a service and they smile at you in the eye and be like, Welcome to Breckenridge, like happy to have you, like no matter who you are, 
I think yeah. that makes a huge difference on someone's day. I really, I really believe in that. Yeah. I think that's such a, a good point. And like, probably, I, I assume some of the best resorts are doing that. And it, it just like, yeah, just, this is a little awkward. Like this is a hard, really hard sport, right. In the skiing example, like it's, you're going to fall and like you have all this gear and it's cold and like, yeah, you got it. Like, this is great. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's true. And like, there's a good parallel or, you know, kind of metaphor with climate there too. Like this isn't easy, like, and this is scary and hard. And, um, but like, welcome, like, thanks for being here. And, um, you know, we're happy to have you and here's something you can do with us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, like Paul, Paul, totally man. Like Paul Hawken phrases this climate, uh, as an opportunity, you know, and I totally see it the same way. And anyone entrepreneurially minded will always see challenges as opportunities. And that's, I think it's just a great way to frame things. It's always a chance to become better, but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been great talking to you, man. I guess my last question is just, what advice do you have for someone who's like kind of just getting started in the working world? And how would you recommend someone kind of turn their passion into like a purpose driven mm-hmm. career? Yeah. Um, you know, I think like it's what you're in many ways, like you model what I think about it. Like, all, how do you think about it being an and and not like I could do this or I could go try to get a job at a nonprofit? Like, how do I add on to in a, even in a smaller way? It doesn't need to be doing a, a really great interview podcast like you. Like, what can I do that is, you know, a small action and volunteer? I know that's cliche, but like volunteering with an organization or a, specifically a cause that you care about, like what's the cause what's a group working on that cause or a set of groups. And then what's a really small action just to get some inertia going um, with them. And, you know, the number of people that I see like break into a role or space just because they were there and like in the room when the opportunity presented itself, I think is, it's, it's pretty outstanding, you know, and I, for me that I think that's a hard thing. I think it's like hard to show up and like commit to doing a little bit of volunteering or, helping. Um, but you know, it's, it's really the cleanest line. Like, how do you do that? And how do you do what you're doing? Um, and if you're trying to move into something more aligned with your passions, how can you just start in a, you know, little micro action to, to get in that direction? Totally. And I think more and more opportunities are cropping up every day because more and more people are working on this issue. There's more and more technology, like every, like, like I said, in the middle, like every single industry, every single sector, there are people already working on it. If you're interested, you just need to find them and ask how you can help. And then you can work your way to whatever you want to be doing. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe one last, like the, there's no excuse for any company to not have a robust, you know, ESG or social cause climate work. Um, you're like, that's, what's really encouraging is every, you know, so many companies and groups are trying to answer that across issues, whether it's equity or racial justice or climate, like they are they're the consumers are demanding it and they know they need to have it. So like we work with so many marketers and business development people that are like also responsible for their climate program or their partnerships on, you know, with a group like POW. And it's like, again, to you, like you're doing this on top of, but it's, if you like make it known, it's something you care about. Like, it's likely like your organization or company is already, um, you know, thinking about how can we bring this to life and you can, you know, make a pivot even, you know, maybe more quickly and without the experience that you otherwise would need. 
Yeah. Or if you're selling a product or service, you're, yeah, you'll find your people, man. Believe yeah. me. People are passionate about this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, one, one thing you, you mentioned the Ray Dalio, uh, the podcast that just came out, um, there's a Tim, Tim Ferriss podcast with John Doerr, mm-hmm. um, that I highly recommend. Um, you know, I've been, you know, we've been a little critical or I've been critical of Tim Ferriss who I like from his business approach, but he, he doesn't give a ton of space for climate. Um, and this was one that really gets into it. John Doerr is the famous venture capitalist, um, who made early investments in Google and Facebook, Uber. Mm-hmm. Um, and he built a framework that Pow used in our strategic plan that's coming out or is out, but it will be on our website soon, um, called, uh, objectives and key results. OKRs It's what Google was built on and still uses today. Um, so we merged kind of, we did a Jim Collins flywheel, which is kind of like, what are the components of your business that really feed into each other and kind of can build momentum. So you, you have a great flywheel and yours actually. And then, you know, John Doerr, he talks about his number one issue is climate and he's super concerned. He just published a book on it, um, called speed and scale. And, uh, he, yeah, he, he, we used his framework and he talks through that framework and kind of how you would apply that at both in your personal life and your business life. So just, I think you would love that. Um, it's, you know, 45 minutes. Thanks so much for saying that, man. I really appreciate it. And I I loved having you on the show. I love everything you're doing. Uh, uh, thanks so much, Tori. Oh man. Thank you. Like, thanks for this time. You could be, um, growing your business and it's cool to know that this is a part of that. So totally uh, thanks for reaching out and giving us the chance to talk. My pleasure. All right, everybody. And we'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate. Here at Climate Change Realty, we don't just donate 50% of our net commissions to fight climate change. We also donate a full 50% of our real estate referrals. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.